Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Rejection, failure is something that excites me, is something that I challenge that I'm going to grow from. I look in the eyes and go, throw what you've got at me because I've been through hell and back. I've got this. We're guilty of comparing chapter one to somebody's chapter 20. So remember that we're all at different paces and keep celebrating for wherever you actually are now. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas, and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher, and educational mentor, and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. Hello and welcome back everyone to another episode of the Elevate podcast. I'm looking forward to introducing you to today's very beautiful guest, Harriet Lane, who is an award-winning businesswoman, an inspirational speaker and philanthropist who sees the root of her success in what was, at the time, her biggest trauma. At the tender age of only 12, she suffered serious burns that required surgery on her legs and her dreams of becoming a model, dancer and horse rider all came to an abrupt standstill. Now, looking back with her successful business, speaking in schools across the UK and empowering young teens, raising over £110,000 for charity, as well as working hands-on with women in need around the world, she is thankful for that very life-changing moment that gave her the foundation to grow, get outside of her comfort zone and dream even bigger than she did before. All of this aligns with all the work that we do with young tweens, as everyone who has been listening to the Elevate podcast in the past will know. So I was keen to speak to Harriet and find out more about how she built tools and the resilience to get out of that difficult time in her life and build a life of wonderful positives from something that was so hard. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Harriet Lane to the podcast today. Welcome, Harriet. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a couple of weeks now since we met and I'm so glad to finally be doing this with you. Yeah, it's been great. We were so fortunate to have had that interaction a few weeks ago um, at a conference, which I didn't explain earlier. So that's where I met Harriet and actually was really intrigued by her journey. So I am here to share more of that with all my audience. Um, So on that whole note of going back to your journey, let's start with what you were like as a little girl. I would love for you to choose some words that might best describe you as a little young Harriet. Young me is totally different to me now that she was quiet. She was different and not in the way that she didn't know it was special. She didn't know that it was okay to be out from the herd, being that someone different out there, that she was also someone who was a bit lost just didn't know where she was going, was so quiet and didn't have opinions. And that individual I don't think would have blossomed without the journey that I've been on. I know there was a life-changing moment for you at a really difficult age for any young girl, but particularly you, only 12 years old, having to then deal with a terrible accident and dealing with having severe burns. Would you be comfortable enough to talk to me about that? 
Yes. So at 12 years old, I was at my horse riding stable and I was just having a normal every day. And as I was putting in my food into the microwave, I pull it out and it was it was great food. Sausages, gravy, my mash. I, I was excited. 12 years old, like, come on, I'm hungry. And the dish just kind of gave way that it was one of those folded ones and it went down my leg. And as I've got older, I would say I've got quite a tough pain threshold I would say I'm a complainer but I've got a tough pain and it's like oh that really hurt and I didn't think anything of it because when you're 12 that you've spilt hot stuff on yourself before that a hot drink that's gone on your hand or that you just know run it all to some cold water or in my case I'm like I'll be fine so you didn't tell anyone you didn't tell another adult you didn't tell anyone no and my friend just looked at me and she was just like oh what are you doing kind of you idiot and I was just like wearing half of my gravy down my leg and I was just thought nothing of it I carried on my day I carried on volunteering at the stables that I was at and it's pretty hard labor especially when I look back for 12 year olds the things I was doing is pretty insane of how much the weight that I was lifting what I was doing it was pretty it was unhygienic thinking that it's stable summer all the dust that comes up summer's one of the worst months because of all the basically dirt floating around in the air and I was thinking two hours later I was like really hurt myself and messaged my mum gone I spilled my grave and my leg I've hurt myself she's like run it under cold water um have you looked at it and I was like no so I went to the toilet and I peel up my jodhpurs and unfortunately all my skin started to melt like I was I remember looking at it and going I'm melting. I literally looked like a bit of, like, as you imagine a Barbie doll, just, and it was such a strange look at it. It's like, this shouldn't look like that. This has never happened when I've spilled a bit of hot chocolate on my hand. And I was like, mom, my leg is peeling. And she was like, right, I'm on my way. <laughs> and I was there with a hose pipe trying to cool it down because it was hot still. Straight away, she was like, right, we need to go. We need to get this checked out by a doctor. Um, I was like, well, I'm not missing my horse riding lesson yeah. first. Like, we'll go for that wow. first. Wow. And then I had my lesson. She was like, right, let's go. And we got recommended at the walk-in. She had it open. That's what she read online. They gave us the advice to have it covered and closed up um, with like bandages and like basically, um, can't even think of the name, like a plaster basically over the top of it. And they were then like, okay, like, go home, you'll be fine. Slept that night. Unfortunately, all the skin came off again, like a scab. My mum took me then to the hospital and needed emergency skin grafts, which led me on the journey at a very self-conscious 12-year-old to begin with, who was that still quiet different individual who never felt really like I fit in being freakishly tall feeling like a you know out there object anyway and then I was thinking oh now this and I had the dreams of being this supermodel and I know now that you could have scars and be a model but at the time that was just that was it dreams over that I've got this horrible scar on my leg that it makes me feel awful and I remember just seeing after the surgery after I think 12 weeks before the band just came off and I remember looking at it like well and the doctor told me like this is the best it's gonna get and I remember in the car like I held it together and I just bawled my eyes out because even though that again we can look at everyone's different problems but when you're a 12 year old girl we have social media, we have all these different things going around us trying to fit in and you feel like you've just got this huge nasty scar on your leg and you're thinking oh my god I can never wear a bikini I'm gonna have to cover myself and I remember just constantly wearing baggy clothes 
oversized outfits because I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin anymore. Because it wasn't, was it? It was ge- genuinely not your own skin. It, it had been ruined in some respects physically. And, and I suppose in hindsight is always a great thing. But at the time when you're 12, you can completely fill your head with a narrative that this is it. My dreams are crushed and shattered and I, there's no hope for me. I suppose as a 12-year-old, that is something that you would be thinking of. And you said, you mentioned as you were relaying this story to me, which is not um, an easy one. So thank you very much for sharing it. But as you were saying that, you said even before the accident, you were not one of the most popular kids. You didn't find yourself fitting in. I know age 12, I grew up in Canada and in America, at the age of 12, they have things called middle school. So it's that kind of middle stage between being a child and being a teenager. But it is one of the most complex times in, in school for young girls for so many obvious reasons and boys, I shouldn't say just girls. Being a, a tween is never easy. But why did you find your tween years, particularly before the accident, already difficult? Can you share some light on that? You know, I always think about that we have this reality on TV and I would say that when I was younger that you would watch Disney Channel and all that was there was high school being this magical place of friendships, high school musicals singing on the table. I was expecting the full bells and whistles walking into high school, literally thinking it's going to be high school musical. Was not. And I remember getting my class and I was so excited and I looked around, there was 20 boys and three girls and I was like, well, these better be my friends, otherwise I'm out of options. And I think journey down to numbers and actually throughout like my even younger childhood, I've always got on with boys a little bit better. And I look at some of my best friends, they tend to be guys actually. And that's been that way. And I remember going to school like, oh my goodness, that this was not the image I painted. And I remember that I was called at some point too much, too crazy and and I stick to those moments and I just felt such an outsider by those three girls were just like, look, you're sweet, but we just don't want to be your friend. And <clears throat> I remember that moment and I was just so heartbroken because I think at that age you look for validation rather than caring about your own opinion. Everybody else's opinions are the only ones that you listen to and only ones that matter at that time that Again, in hindsight, we know this now that nobody else's opinion matters. But when you're a 12 year old, that for the people who are in middle school, for going transitioning up and it's everything to have friends. That's what you want. That's all you could ever wish for. And that reality of going, OK, from that point, And I remember the mean comments as I started modeling, then the skin grafts as well of different weird I had this huge oversized bandages around my legs as well how long did that last it was 12 weeks as well no like and it had on my hip because that's where they took the skin graft from and because it was on my hip that as you can imagine to have it there it almost took around my other hip down my leg and then I had from the knee down to the ankle was different bandages as well that were all taped up and I look back at the photos and like, oh my God, whoever did the bandage, it was so badly done. I just look at it or I had taken it off almost in the night. It could, could be me to blame. Sure. So I'm, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes at this moment. How old are you now, Harriet? Would you like to share that with the audience? You're still very yeah, young. 21. She's 21 years old. So Gen Z very much. Yeah. Well and truly Gen Z. Yeah. Well and truly Gen Z. So this is obviously a time, like you said, so, you know, a generation of social media. You're 12 years old in Newcastle going to school we spoke 
before about this. And one of the things that you said that set you apart from everybody else was your height. And that's why you had your eyes set on modeling. How much taller than your average peers were you? Oh, I was so at 12 years old, I was about five foot eight, five foot nine. And if you put that in perspective that you can go, that's tall. And I remember as well that I must have been compared to the girls at least half a foot taller. I think what's really misunderstood is that a lot of people don't understand that when you're constantly told, oh my God, you're so tall, that heightism is actually a thing and it can also affect your self-esteem. Did you feel yourself on the receiving end of that? You know what? Yes, absolutely. And it even started from actually an even earlier age. I remember from about eight years old having comments about she'll be too tall for that. You'll be too tall to have a boyfriend. You'll be too. And it's all small images. But I remember, again, the emotion of, oh, I'm never going to have a boyfriend at such a young age. And, and I remember those things stick with you because I think from about age nine, there was some of the school teachers that I was taller than which was a freaky moment of going, I feel like an alien. I think one thing that kept me kind of calm, there was one girl that was a similar height in primary school. I didn't have that when I went up into high school. But when I was in primary, I think that kept me a little bit more level that because it was just me and her abnormally tall. Um, but when I got into high school, I was taller than even by the guys by at least four or five inches from the tallest guy. My eyes were really open to that as, as I listened to an interview that Peter Crouch did recently talking about being the butt of so many jokes and, you know, what's the weather like up there and is it different and all of that. And I don't know if you were on the receiving end of these jokes, but like you said, they start to have an effect and but nobody talks about it because I guess in the realm of all the things that could be different about you, having height, I suppose, in many worlds is considered quite an asset. And it is it obviously, but everything about you is an asset, I suppose. And that's the message I want my listeners to get is we should be praising girls for whatever they are, however they're shaped and whatever they bring to us. But I think that people who get criticized or constantly reminded of how tall you are, it's not an easy thing for someone to constantly hear as what I, I suppose I'm trying to get at. Yeah, and I think it's a lot of the misconception as well. It's something that is harmless to talk about is someone's height, but you can't change it. And I think it goes for anything you can't change, you shouldn't comment on. And I think that's just like a general rule. If you can't fix it in five minutes, then don't say it at all. I think that's general rule. And I know for a fact it's, I even now get it, like getting a drink and going, do you play basketball? And they're genuinely serious and going, I'm thinking, no, I'm not athletic whatsoever. Yeah, another common myth about being tall, right? That you have to play a sport that, in fact, Peter Crouch mentions that too. He was asked all the time if you play basketball. In fact, he said he had cards and he kept in his pocket for the five questions he got asked every time he met someone new and they were always the same. So he just used to take out the cards to say, no, you're going to ask that. Here's the answer. And, you're gonna answer. and it must be so exhausting in some ways. But yeah, how tall are you now? So six foot on the dot. Okay. Harriet Lane, six foot tall. Absolutely gorgeous, everyone. But wasn't easy when she was younger. And hopefully we can try to change some of this narrative for young teens going forward. Because obviously I don't know if any of us are really aware. Because most of us that aren't that tall probably think being tall is a door to opening to great sports, to modeling or whatever it is. But actually both of those things are not always the only career choices that people make. And so you then fall into a career of pageantry. Now tell me, were your parents supportive of this and how did you get into the world of it? And what and was this one of your coping strategies with all the difficulties you were going through? 
So my mum actually came across it. And I would say, again, being a very odd child, that even though it was a time of social media, that I had no interest in my phone texting and interacting with other people online. I just didn't have that drive for it. I was very much, um, go outside, go to the stables, talk to people. That was more kind of my angle. And being at the stables that you were very murky, hands-on, not glamorous whatsoever and my mum actually found a pageant because she was looking at model competitions and pageantry kept coming up and all she was thinking of is toddlers and tiaras honey boo boo child that was his image of pageantry and it's because what you see on tv that's the only information we had to go off and my mum was looking into it she's like it looks actually nothing like it and all these comments say that saved my daughter's confidence built self-esteem she's now got loads of friends and my mum's like oh my god harriet needs this Harriet needs this in her life so she was the one who entered me so she was obviously support she didn't actually tell me she wanted to make sure I made through the next round because she didn't want to enter me and go sorry you didn't even get in and just kick a girl while she's down so she didn't actually tell me until I was through and she then asked me once I was through, was like Harriet I've done something I didn't tell you um but you've just got through into the finals of Miss Teen Great Britain do you want to do it and I was just like oh my god yes and I had no idea what it entailed but I was just excited that as again someone thinks I'm pretty someone you know it's going to be a competition again I wear a long dress that I you know every girl's dream is to put on a gown it was basically the wedding day at 12 years old of getting to wear the dress for yourself so you were only 12 at this point yeah, it was just after the scars um, surgery as well. I think it was like two months afterwards. Okay, so your mom definitely wanted to find a way to lift you up because she could see how down you were about the whole thing. Yeah, my mom was devastated that, yes, I was a quiet individual, but she also saw this kind of goofy individual. That I still am that, but that started to get just compressed down and she was just devastated. And then my lack of friends in school as well that it was just friendships were just non-existent and she was devastated for me because she knew that's what I wanted that every girl every guy deserves to have friends in their life to outside of their family thank god I've got such an incredible support system of great brother great parents but like my dad is so into pageants that he is literally a fan himself of watching them that like will watch them on the tv of different national costumes and he's he loves it. But at the time, I had a supportive group around me that, that yes, there was comments of going pageantry. It's just about aesthetic and just about looks. And my mom was like, well, we're going to give it a go. We're seeing what it's about. Um, if it's a kind of a bitchy environment that we will take a step away from that if it is like that. And we couldn't be further away from the truth that it was so supportive. I made the most genuine friends that from meeting some of the girls at 12 years old. I'm actually still friends with the girls to this day. It's like, in fact, I actually saw one of them last weekend that I was around at his. So it's one of those that the women that you do meet are lifelong friends because you meet people like you who are on their own journey. Something may have happened of lack of confidence and I've yet to meet a pageant girl who comes in perfectly confident no nothing you know going nothing not going wrong but we've all got our story in it every pageant girl she has her story why she's there her reasons that's so interesting that you say that because it's so counterintuitive you do think that only somebody who must be super confident about getting onto a public platform walking like a catwalk having other people judging you 
that you must be really thick-skinned and super confident to put yourself out there. Yet you're saying most girls that come all come with some sort of insecurity or story that isn't the case. Talk us a little bit about the stigmas around the work that you do around in pageantry. And like you said, your mum had some of the same thoughts and you must have thought the same thing. I do, still do. And I'm, you know, I'll put my hand up and say I'm pretty ignorant around this. So can you debunk some of these stigmas for us and share why you think pageantry is actually not what we all sort of deem it to be? I think if you look at media attention, that everything's dramatized on television, no matter what, whether it's a documentary about your hospitals, about farm life, whatever it is, that it's the news that you know it's, that's the headline and they twist it to make it something people want to watch. If you look at all TV programs around pageantry, we have one called Insatiable, which is on Netflix. And yes, it's hilarious, guilty, I love it. But again, it talks about how it's just about image, about obsessing over your body, that it's also quite toxic environment against the girls, that there's no similarity in terms of what pageantry is like honey boo boo and having the um glitz pageants they're called natural and glitz are different i had no idea at the time this was a thing glitz pageants is toddlers and tiaras where you're blowing kisses it's very dolled up natural pageants as you can guess it's natural a lot of the girls under 13 you're not allowed to wear makeup it's minimal hair. It's quite strict on it. I know even at Miss Teen Great Britain, I don't think until 16 you're even allowed false lashes. Um, they even It's like natural makeup, nude lipstick. There's nothing to over kind of dramatize um, basically your overall look that's too far-fetched. And that's one of the main differences. Those headlines as well. If you go back, when you think of Miss World in like the 1980s, 1990s, totally different it was more a model competition about an aesthetic and I would say it was that at one point and I would love to actually do more digging of what was that turning point that I joke to people saying I wish it was that easy just to walk on stage and they judged how you look because that's not even to do with it that it's about your interview that weighs so heavy of you being able to almost pitch why you should win, what advocacy that you have, the change that you're making in your area or across the country, whatever it is. So my part of kind of debunking pageantry and the stereotypes that come with it is just sharing my story that I've managed to raise over £100,000 for charities. I've travelled to India working with a charity that I've managed to start my own business, be able to actually get jobs way above that my experience could get me in, but because I had a phenomenal interview because of pageantry. So I think that stereotype's there because what the social media is out. And I know every girl who does pageants is trying one by one. Just can we change one person's mind? pageantry okay so you're right there was obviously a, a, a change and a shift because definitely I grew up in the time that you mentioned in the 80s and 90s and w- did watch Miss World did watch Miss Universe um in fact was you know I know it was like a monumental thing because India won it a couple of times um it, and it was 
for being an Indo-Canadian girl sitting in Vancouver who never saw Indian models on TV, never saw Indian people in magazines to see suddenly see Miss World being an Indian. It was like absolute joy, I suppose, for most young girls. But it was very much swimsuit round and this is the, the evening gown round or whatever it was. So it did feel like you were being very much set up to be objectified or looked at and judged by by other people and sure they they go off and do some you know advocacy work afterwards but not many of them you don't really see their career after that so i suppose that does play into our perceptions of what pageantry is did you actually have success at the age of 12 then what happened to you what that led to you to have such a successful career so at 12, I entered by the time I was competing, I was 13 and I placed top eight. I was over the moon that I placed top eight. And I remember in the car driving back home from Blackpool to Newcastle, entering the application ready for the next year because I had the most amazing experience ever. And I couldn't wait to just do that all over again. And the experience and that's winning that I would say the crown I would say doesn't change too much yes there's unlocks different opportunities however there's a lot of personal development that happens when you are just competing that's where the good stuff really happens and I think you actually walk away with a lot more not winning the title than actually coming away with the crown that I came away with confidence friendships and that was just the beginning that I also unlocked this ability to dream a little bit bigger that I was around these women who were successful the older ones that most of them that I compete with are dentists doctors lawyers engineers very intelligent women that I would love to even you know get to challenge people have a look at Miss Universe Great Britain this year and look through all of the women's job titles I guarantee it will absolutely blow your socks off and completely change how you think about pageantry and that success started there that I got to start fundraising meeting people across Newcastle starting to almost brand myself and that's just fascinating to me because like you say you you were in a place in your early tweens early teens where life was looking quite bleak and dark but actually entering a competition that judges you on your physical looks or what seemed like that didn't put you off you went in and winning it didn't affect you not winning it didn't affect your self-esteem in fact you're saying all the things that came with the process and the steps of being part of it with another community of girls is that right and they were all helpful to you yeah every single one that they were just there to uplift one another that the girls that didn't place you know they came back that you were still friendly and you would you can see by everyone's reaction when the girl wins everybody is jumping up and down and screaming that in a way at that point you don't care who wins because you are there knowing that you're not compared to one another that you're just judged almost you're comparing yourself the competition is looking at you in the mirror and it will always be you and I think it's such a good reminder of that that it is you in the mirror but that competition was 50% interview based and then what was the other 50% 25 was then for fashion which and then 25 for evening and the main thing that looking for is confidence that's the main yes you can have the fancy walk but it comes down to having confidence and personality on stage when you're very fortunate because your mum has been one of your greatest supporters she's alongside you and I think when you're young and you're a teenager 
you're, you're very impressionable. There's so much going around you. And I'm wondering how many other girls that you've worked with had an adult that they could rely on to help bounce some of these ideas off of, or how easy it is to navigate a world that is quite overwhelming, I imagine, at times. Yeah, I would say as it gets more popular, it's more overwhelming as there's so many more options and there's a lot more shown on social media in terms of what to do, where to buy dresses, that rather than it was just... When I started, I would say it was a little bit more straightforward when you didn't have the social media element. Now it's really about using your voice, having the platform. But for some girls, not everyone has a, not saying supportive parent, but not every parent also has the time to go, okay, let's sit down that my mom was very invested, that she was really invested in my future, what was going to happen for me. And as a coach now in the industry that I became beauty pageant coach and it allows girls to actually bounce their ideas off me. I can almost hold their hand through the experience so they become the best version of themselves. And pageant coaching, if you think of what I do, I think it was a female empowerment coach. I think it's the best way to label it of exactly what I do. It's about developing someone's interview skills, giving them a social media brand, their own personal brand, and then teaching them confidence through their walk that it is an empowerment coaching position in my head. Um, so those girls then get that opportunity, bounce their ideas off, and I'm going dream bigger, dream bigger, and getting those girls motivated and telling them they can do it. So do you think if you were to look back at that 12-year-old girl who was devastated because she felt life is never going to be the same due to the accident you had, you would be a very different person today if your mom hadn't entered you into that contest? I would be scared of the person. I would be. And I think I would have just followed it. Not saying there's anything wrong with going to university, but I know it wasn't the place for me that a very ordinary path. And why I say university and ordinary path is because I think I would have studied a subject that probably didn't need studying in the sense of either styling and or something to do with fashion and just being following else's someone else's dream helping them work in it rather than actually navigating my own dreams and getting people also motivated inspired and without pageantry I don't think I would be 25 percent not even 10 percent of who I am today amazing and do you feel fulfilled in that role do you feel like you found your your purpose yeah and it came by surprise I'd never planned on being a pageant coach I always wanted my own business that was for sure I had definitely plenty of ideas but there is so much fulfillment and I can't imagine my life without it. I joke I'll be there with a pink sparkly Zimmer frame going on stage when I'm 75 still competing in pageants because it makes my world and actually seeing other girls go on to achieve their dreams whether it's in pageantry or have success in their own lives there's no more fulfilling thing than that. And is that because of how much personal growth you get out of it? You can measure success in many ways but what I'm hearing from you is the amount of self-esteem, self-worth and growth you've experienced at such a young age. It takes some people a lifetime to get to a place where they feel this comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, I would say it's under pageantry because it it taught me a lot as well about body image and it was the most beautiful women. It was so great to see these incredible girls on stage, even when it was bikini or seeing them in a dress, I go, oh, they have stretch marks too, that they have cellular and they're still beautiful. That's not defining them and actually being able to look up one of those women who have body image that the fact I've got such great self-esteem about myself, not growing up then from a teen while other girls were scared of 
kind of, oh, I've got this mark, this stretch. And I was like, yeah, all everybody's got them. And I was able to see that firsthand. The personal growth as well, mentally, resilience of actually doing something so different and having going explaining what it is, having almost the opinions as well. I think it was so great to have a negative opinion on. So pageantry, it's all about looks. And it was so great to then really express myself. And I think it was that point of having to use my own opinions going, actually, no, this is what it's like. And it gave me that ability to be more forthright, use my voice, that it comes down to personal growth. That's what pageantry is all about. I'm listening to you and I can hear the passion in your voice. If someone listening to this suddenly thinks, wow, I would love to try it. Or if there was a mum or dad listening and they would think, gosh, I wouldn't even know where to start, which actually I wouldn't even know if I wanted to do this for my own daughter. But what are the steps that you would take or what advice would you give to young families that may be interested in getting their daughters into this type of work? Because I know that there's not much resources out there that just give this one stop place of how do you discover pageantry that I actually have a feature on my website. So if you go on to www.crowncoach.online that I have a page about UK pageantry so you can see the huge list of pageants available. They all offer different opportunities, different prices as well, because you can enter a pageant from £15. And yes, there is more expensive ones um, up to about £600. Obviously, they take you a lot further um, and huge opportunities from those that I give you a bit of a list and about it that I talk about pageantry, what it is on there, where to kind of start how you enter and apply. And I've almost got the ones I highly recommend for experience all on this page. So if you find it on there, you can check out the features. There's loads of free stuff of where to get started and who to contact. Amazing. So thank you. And we will link all of this in our show notes as well. Carrying on from this, I would love to talk to you a little bit about children that don't take rejection well or easily demoralized when things maybe don't go their way or they don't make it to the finals. Now, you can see that on the football pitch. You can see that on the netball court. You can see that when people audition for plays. It's not just pageantry, but I suppose with pageantry, there's always this end goal, right, that like you said, the crown, the glory of the crown is something that obviously all of you are in there for, because the more you get, the more opportunities there are for those girls. And especially if you're doing this without supportive parents or supportive adults in your life, which lots of girls sometimes have to do this because of the stigmas involved with putting yourself out there. How did you cope with rejection, first of all? And what advice would you give others who fear rejection? So I think for me, rejection, that I never saw it as rejection that I actually saw it as more as pageantry it's like I've never felt that but when it comes outside of it that it's about coming back if it's something you really want to pursue that I actually use any time of a no a failure a rejection as fuel to the fire it only makes me more motivated if I want something I will go and get it and I will prove to the other people who have had doors slammed in their face and been told no that dream's not for you that I'm that I will prove that dream is there for you because I did it too I've done it I'm on my way to that journey I will not take no for an answer so I see rejection failure as something that excites me as something that a challenge that I'm going to grow from I see it as something now that I look in the eyes and go come on then see throw what you've got at me because I've been through I've been through hell and back I've got this it's, it's gonna be easy that I've had my 
fair share of experiences and I'm sure unfortunately there'll be more to come but they shape you as the person that you are in pageantry not winning straight away taught me if you want something you gotta work for it like you gotta and it really put me in a real situation where you go if you want the dream job if you want something that's not going to come easy, do not settle for less. So when rejection happened, I really realized I'm going, okay, life is not easy. Let's go again. Um, to the other girls as well that I see, um, you know, who are emotional, say about it's not that time. And it's never because somebody else won. It was just because you wanted that dream. It's like being told you haven't got your dream job. You just didn't quite make it. Of course, you're going to be gutted. But for the girls that are in pageantry, they have other goals than just winning that crown that it's about actually, did they manage to speak to a panel of judges? Did they manage to fundraise for charity? And in what own way that we've won in our own right? So rejection, I think it's the way you look at it. That's a fantastic message and one that we work on a lot in the Elevate program. So I think we are very much aligned on these values and making sure that we see these setbacks as opportunities to grow. But I love the fact that you take it as a kind of a almost like a challenge. So the more you are given rejection, the more you go back. And I think that's an important piece because a lot of young girls get no once and they think that's it. Right. And they don't have the same gumption or the same gravitas to say, right. I'm going to keep going at this, but I suppose it comes down to that fuel and that fire that you've got to have in your belly to want something bad enough. And what about those situations where you're not comfortable with something? How did you either manage saying no or putting in place boundaries? Was that something that was easy or something that you've learned from if you weren't able to? What was that like as a teenager? being in this world of judging and overwhelming media as well. I would say in terms of judging that there was no negative um, in, from that side. And the only time I would say there was negativity from judging was actually people outside of pageantry. It was the press, it was the media. And although for the negativity that I've been in the Daily Mail, I've been in plenty of different papers, and of course that you get your keyboard warriors type in exactly how they're feeling remember everyone's entitled to their own opinion and it's something that again that resilience it never bothered me what someone said when it was a stranger definitely was different when it was someone closer that I knew that it was face to face that was different but when it came to online those opinions did not phase me because again I knew by this article I didn't care if there was a a thousand comments going pageantry is not a positive thing but that one person going actually I'm gonna give this a go actually this seems like a really positive thing that you know these women are doing to actually change the communities the areas whatever that they're up to so those boundaries with judges I would say I've never had to be there because they're very strict the protocols they have strict briefing you know the briefing what they're looking for and again it's never about aesthetic it's all about up here the ambition the mindset being career driven that's what they're looking for i want to encourage the next generation to dream so big help them goal set how they get to those big dreams because that bridgeway is sometimes missed we can dream big but how do we get there there's so many different stories that we all have our own mission that i would say definitely the winners they aren't people who are just again pretty faces who just do a little bit they're always the women that are really making change and inspiring the next generation or all their own age group. 
I can see that. I mean, it definitely is a world that I think is eye-opening, definitely. What do you say? I'm going to play devil's advocate here. What do you say to those people that still, even after listening to you, might think, well, actually, it's so superficial and almost vain to spend so much time and energy making sure you look a certain way and not to focus on the person within that you can't see physically, the, the personality traits that come out, because you can't judge that on a, I don't know, on a, on a five-minute pageant walk. I know each pageant will be different, but if that is the cynic in us talking, how do you address those people? It's about helping these women forward. That's what it's really about. And just sharing my journey, you can see it a little bit in their eyes. They go, okay, I can see that this could be possible, but almost disbelief of no way that this would have happened because of a pageant. And it's almost coming to watch one. Yes, you'll see the girls walk on stage and that's about it. But really seeing a woman go through the journey it, it changes everything. It's completely different. And then I know for like the modeling world, and that is possibly changing a little bit now too. And we are seeing more uh, diverse body shapes and, and diverse colored models and, and all of that and, and genders even. Like it's all kind of wonderful. And I think that we're celebrating diversity in a much bigger way. Would you say pageantry does the same thing? It's more inclusive than modeling ever will be. And same for bodybuilding, yet there's such a stigma around pageantry and I see it as such more of a positive compared to modeling and the bodybuilding industry where you are judged completely on your looks yet pageantry somehow be the one that sticks out like a sore thumb and it then um, yet there's so much more to it because then what you're doing is celebrating womanhood and femininity in a in a much more liberal way than possibly in the past it's been very I think rigid and and if you didn't look a certain part I think uh, modeling or pageantry was always considered for a certain type of person, right? Uh, a body type or, and things. So that is actually really eye-opening and, and revealing actually about how much we've come on, which is really something to celebrate. Body confidence is something that does come through with some competitions. There's fewer and fewer now that include the swimwear competition because there is, a, again, less about the aesthetic part so they're almost removing it that it normally comes down to your on stage question that's what's more priority now and that it's can be such a fraction of the competition it's like your swimwear so although I love that part personally because I know what it's done for me as a teen as well that um I really wanted to do this competition with bikini and 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 it gave me so much confidence and it felt so empowered to get up on a stage and go I'm you know, I feel amazing in my own skin. Again, it's really just about celebrating each one of each other as well, especially when it comes to that bikini competition, which is my favorite part other than the interview. And if you could change anything for young girls in the future, what would that be? Their ability to dream. That for me, that if they could dream so big and have nothing going but what if and a negative holding them back, that I would want them to then know that that dream's possible that it doesn't matter if it's not next year in the next 10 years but if you really want it that it can happen that remembering that your success is going to look different everyone works at different paces and i was you know listening to something amazing that we're guilty of comparing chapter one to somebody's chapter 20 so remember that we're all at different paces and keep celebrating for wherever you actually are now that's brilliant. In fact, I've got that in my scheme of work, that quote that you said about chapter, don't compare your chapter one to someone else's chapter 20. I think that's a very important one because it's quite easy to pick up your phone 
and start looking at somebody else's Instagram who's got, you know, hundreds and thousands of followers and you maybe are just on, you don't feel successful in, in your own right because you're not there yet or you haven't got what somebody else has got. And that comparison piece is probably the most dangerous one if you're trying to pursue your own dreams. Yeah, I think I know the answer to this, but if you could go back now and whisper something to your 12-year-old self, what would you say? Continue being crazy. <laughs> that would be like, like that would be... Because I think that, again, I was a wild dreamer that I wanted my own fashion line. These dreams were so big. And yet I remember other people, not saying dreaming small, but they just had this narrow dream of, you know, I want to be a, like a hairdresser. I'll be like, I want to own the hair salon, the nails. I want to have the whole thing. That is like where I was dreaming of so big that, and sometimes I think school might, unfortunately, my educational system that I went through really squished that down it didn't allow me to dream big it was very much play it safe go for the safe option going to university get a job and that will be the best option rather than the taking the risks and I just to continue staying crazy that I think for a few years that I did lose a little bit of my sparkle but pageantry brought it back as you can tell by everything so it's like thanks to pageants (laughs) (laughs) that's brilliant I love that again I guess that speaks to if we go back to what you just to pick up on what you said in terms of schooling is that because if you're not a child that loves the traditional style of schooling or has a passion for the subjects that are so conveniently taught at school and and that's it i.e you're not a chemist or you're not a historian that there's very few options for the creatives or or yeah I think creatives struggle that I know I did that I think it would have been okay that now that it was compulsory language and then it was compulsory like history or geography and I was like oh god that if I could have it would have been all creative subjects where my strengths lay um not saying it gave me poor results I did work so hard getting those results that I wanted even though I didn't particularly feel feel the strongest at the subjects I think the teachers even could feel that it was hard and a lot of the time I remember being sat in chemistry like Harriet's effort is like a hundred percent they've never seen anything like it but I was the worst in class that even though that you can give sometimes 110% effort sometimes those career paths those bits that we all have our strengths and I wish that more schools had more options for the creatives that I think I could have thrived more if I could have just had the arts the the creative sides that that would have been a total different educational path for me yeah and also maybe entrepreneurialism from what it sounds like and tell me who are your role models Princess Diana, she is, although she wasn't even alive when, you know, I was born. However, the mark that she has left has is going to last more than a lifetime. That her work truly changed the world. And again, her kind of quote, her motto is be the change that you want to see in the world. That I believe we all have that power within us. And I think she really told that she really broke the stereotypes and she had a glamorous title and did not so glamorous things. And I think that was a really strong message that she put out. So for that, she will always be number one in my biggest role model. Oh, and that's really timely at the moment because in the UK, we're all across the world, I guess, the next series of The Crown has just released. And many of us are glued to the television at the moment because of the love that we all have for Princess Diana. The series seems to be focusing a lot on her. So yeah, you can really see the love of that people had for someone who was willing to spread love 
and spread kindness as well uh, the way she did, which was beautiful to watch, actually. So I am a lot older. I was definitely around <laughs> when, when she was going through all of those advocacy things that she was doing, which is amazing. And the charities that she helped were, were amazing as well. And Harriet, what is next for you? What can we expect from Harriet Lane in the next few years? I think for me is next business adventures. It's not same pageant coaching is going anywhere, far the opposite, but I'm working on different membership areas, which meaning basically I can do even more because I love to keep myself busy that I'll be fulfilling 12 year old heart's dream of becoming a fashion designer. I never thought I could make an outfit. So I gave up on the dream. So I am working on my own collections. That's something to expect. And then as well, hopefully becoming Miss Universe one day because we've never had a winner from Great Britain to win Miss Universe. So I hope to be the first. Oh, I love that. Brilliant. Well, thank you for sharing your hopes. Thank you for sharing your dreams. Thank you for sharing your passion. Thank you for unveiling some of the and shedding some of the information that we needed to know about what is happening in the world of pageantry, which I had yet to discover. So I'm feeling really grateful for this opportunity and for having you come onto the podcast. Thank you again. And I will link everything Harriet has just said. It will all be in the show notes for you. So please do check that out and find out more if you're interested. Thank you so much, Harriet, for coming on to the Elevate podcast. Thank you so much. And that's everything from us today. Thank you to all of you for joining in and being part of these very important conversations. I hope you will continue to support our cause by sharing the podcast to raise awareness with others. If you get a moment and could rate and review the podcast, I would also be hugely grateful. I'd like to extend a very big thank you to Ryan Prestipino from The Pine Studios for all the hard work that he does to help me bring this podcast to all of you. Until next time, stay well and speak soon. Bye for now.